everyone here at Mansfield. Welcome everyone joining us at Collingswood. Good morning. We're so glad that you're joining us. Mansfield, let's send some love to Collingswood. Thank you. We love you guys. Grateful we are one church currently with two locations. We're one big family and a growing family. Somebody say amen. And uh, we won't apologize for a growing family. I I'm, I'm excited today. I'm very a bit overwhelmed to be honest with you, uh, to share with you that what God's placed on my heart. If you're here for the first time, we are sincerely glad that you're with us today. Thanks for joining us. Um, we pray that you feel right at home, though anytime you're in a new environment, I know that there's always that un unsettling nerve in, in your gut kind of saying, I hope nothing weird happens. I can't promise you nothing will, weird will happen, but I can promise you that we've developed this service with you in mind, and we hope that you feel right at home. Um, one of the things that is dear on my heart every time that we gather together is that by the reading of the Word of God and through the reading of the Word of God that we would be transformed. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we should not conform to the patterns of the world, but we should be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind. How does our mind get renewed through the preaching of the Word of God? Every time that happens, just so you know what that looks like. It's one thing to say that our mind should be renewed. It's another thing to help you understand what that looks like. It's a conflict. <laughs> it's a conflict. The renewing of the mind is a conflict. And it conflicts with the way that you've adopted the patterns of the world which, with, with the way that God calls you to live. And there's a conflict. There's usually, on a good Sunday in your spiritual growth, there should be a conflict. There should be a collision. There be, should be something challenged in the way that you think. And that's what happens when we read the Word of God. There is the authority of the Word of God that comes against the patterns of the world and helps to realign the way that we do life, not just so that we are good people, but so that we reflect Jesus Christ. Amen? Hey, today... Um, I'm going to do something that I typically do not do, and I'm going to, I, I, I've never, I never thought I'd have to apologize for reading Scripture, but today I'm going to read a fair bit of Scriptures, and typically I don't do this, um, not because I, I'm worried about getting too much Scripture in you, in your spirit, it's because I don't want you to get lost, I don't want you to become overwhelmed, and sometimes when you read a lot, you can get overwhelmed. When they're teaching you, the, you know, homiletics, or when they're teaching you how to preach, or the art of communicating, they'll always tell you to limit the amount of verses you share, because if you share too much, after the second or third verse, people just start staring up at the ceiling, and you just lose them. But I want you to get this topic so desperately this morning, that I want to just start sharing with you um, all of the verses, not all of them, there are hundreds of them, but I want you to get the significance of this topic. We've been discussing this through this series, Lead the Way, a variety of different attributes or characteristics that we should carry, but not only that we should carry, they really come from the nature of who God is, and it's in our revelation of understanding who God is, that we ourselves can then reflect that to other people. And this morning, I want to talk to you about God's faithfulness. Everybody say faithfulness. Faithfulness is an attribute that often goes very unappreciated by the people of God. Maybe at times we, we can sense I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative that God is faithful. But faithfulness, as I began to study is in the scriptures, is used from the beginning to the end. Not in a way to describe us. <laughs> but in a way to describe God. And when you understand how faithful God is to you, 
Do you know, when, when you start to understand who God is, it allows you to reflect him. When you don't know who God is and you don't know his attributes, it's difficult for you to, to carry in your person what you have yet to receive from God. And so as we unpack this, I want you to listen to what, what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Listen to what it says here. It says, let us hold unswervingly or resolute, it would mean, to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. This, if you go to the, the dictionary, you'll find in the, in the unpacking of faithfulness, it says steadfast in affection or allegiance. Another way or word that you might be more familiar with that I think is more accurately describing who God is, is this. God is loyal. He's loyal to you. And, and, and he's loyal to you when you're not loyal to him. He's faithful to you when you're not faithful to him. He's faithful in good seasons. He's faithful in bad seasons. He's faithful no matter what you do. And the, the most difficult thing for us to grasp in our humanity is God is faithful no matter what. Do you know why? Because his faithfulness is not dependent upon my faithfulness. Which is strange because that's usually how we view other people. It's usually how we, we see ourselves and our relationships, but God is not like that. God's faithfulness does not go up and down based upon your lack of faithfulness. He is faithful. It is the, it is the nature of who God is. He's faithful. You know what that means? He's loyal. Promises to never leave you nor forsake you. And the more you understand this and see this, and I want you to get it, that's why I'm going to read some scripture to you this morning. Listen, Peter, James, and Paul all pleaded over and over and over again in the early, ch in the early church to understand God's faithfulness and to stand firm. It's described and used in different words, but all meaning to understand God's faithfulness. In, in James chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those whom love him. In 1 Corinthians, Apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Do not be moved. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, it says, Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves, listen to this, to their faithful creator and to continue to do good work. I love the strength of that language. There's nothing weak in it. There's nothing apathetic about it. It is strong. It's confident. It's an assurance. It's a statement of assurance. And he's saying, listen, stand firm in your faith. And the only way that you will be able to be faithful is if you understand the faithfulness of God. It's the only way. It is the only way that any of us can reflect God. Now, I want to I, I unpack this in a way so that you can see that, that Scripture is telling you to hold on to something. Scripture is pleading with you to hold on to something, to hold unswervingly, I love that word, to just be resolute, committed, loyal to what? To, to religion, to traditions, to, to protocols, to no, to Jesus, to hold on to Jesus, to stand firm, to be faithful, to be loyal and consistent to Jesus. And that's what Scripture continually pleads with the early church. And as I plead with you this morning, be faithful to Jesus. 
Be faithful to Jesus. When you're going through trials and tribulations, difficult times, exciting times, be faithful to Jesus. And the only way I believe with all my heart that we can be faithful is for us first to understand that he is faithful. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Jesus is the anchor of our faith. And being rooted to Jesus keeps us, listen to me now, it keeps us from being easily moved by other influences. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus in chapter 4. And this is what he says, which is interesting. And before I go into this, I want you to know that there is a significant call to those who are delegated the responsibility to equip the people of God. And I want you to read, because as Paul is describing the responsibility delegated to those called to equip the people of God, he's showing them how we are equipped, and not only how we are equipped and matured, but the process by which it happens. And you need to understand this, because if we want to grow in our maturity with God, we need to understand, one, how we move in our maturity and how we grow. And it says this in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 12, beginning in verse 12. To equip, talking about, th- this is the apostles, the prophets, teachers, pastors. It's to, to equip the, his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's talking about the people of God. Until we all reach unity in the faith, listen now, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, if you read that backwards, I'm not telling you to do it, but if you were to pull that apart, it's saying that your maturity and my maturity comes at the beginning of having a unity in faith, of faith. And we're going to talk about why that is like that. Because we are a byproduct of the nature of God in our essence, and God is faithful. And so he's saying it's in our unity that we grow in our faith. It means that we are many people coming together as one. As Doc Mannion would put it, this singular plurality in the nature of God. We have the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Do you see it there? And the singular Godhead, but the plurality within it. The church as the bride of Christ, but many pieces and many parts within it. And we see this, and we see it held together by, by, by the nature of God himself, this faithfulness of God, this faithfulness of God. And it's saying that we grow in our maturity that when we can be united in our faith, but not only that, as we grow in our knowledge of God, then we become mature. Why? Because it's in growing in the knowledge of God that we have the revelation of who he is. And when we understand who God is, hear me now, it is the one thing that you will pursue, hear me, The one thing that you will pursue in your life that will not give you greater confidence in yourself is Jesus. It is the only thing. It is the only thing that you will pursue that does not give you greater confidence in yourself. Self-righteousness is not a byproduct of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know what is? Humility. Everything else adds to the the dynamic of self-righteousness or self-condemnation. And so scripture pleads with us in Ephesians chapter 4 to seek after the knowledge of God and to grow in our faith and unity with one another. And it is only then that we will grow into the full measure of our faith. And then we will no longer be infants. (laughs) Hear it. No longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. I want to encourage you here. 
that every single one of you makes choices on a daily basis. And your choice produces something. Your choice produces something. Now there's a danger in this because I remember early on trying to understand this concept. Trying to understand how it works and my development, my development in Christ actually operates. And I really, listen, I was going over this with Doc Mannion and some of the team earlier because I really, really, my heart wants you to get this. And as you grow in your maturity with God, there's, there's some pitfalls along the way. There's some dangers. And, and through the dangers of trying to navigate through it all, there's this, there's this dynamic of being discouraged along the way. And I've come to learn that, that none of us will pursue God and our pursuit be perfect. It's just not going to happen. None of us are going to be able to pursue God perfectly. But listen to how Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, really referring to our pursuit, our journey with God. This is what he says. Not only so, but when we glorify, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Listen to this. Perseverance produces character. And then character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Faithfulness. God is faithful. I want to, I want to attempt to share this with you in something that I believe happens automatically in our nature. A few weeks ago and last week as well, I talked about this dynamic that you and I can only give what we carry. Do you remember we talked about that? I can't give grace. I can't demonstrate gratitude. I can't do that unless I carry it. And I only carry what I first receive. And I don't receive anything unless I acknowledge I'm in need of it. If I, if I look to God and he said, here is grace, I offer grace. I, says, I don't need grace. I don't need gratitude. I don't need peace of mind. I don't need that. I don't need strength. I don't need confidence. I don't need eternal salvation. If you don't need it, you won't receive it. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? And then when you receive it, you can carry it. When you carry it, I can give it to other people. The problem is that all of us want to be givers of things from God, but the only way I can be a giver of the things of God is that I need to be a receiver first. That's how being a conduit of Christ works. First, I receive from God, and what I receive, I give or I pass on, as the Apostle Paul says, which would lay hold that there is a prerequisite in order for me to give, I first must receive. And so what does that look like? I'm becoming more and more aware of what the environment of the church produces. And I don't know, I want you to just See if your spirit resonates with this. I believe that the church is the place that makes you aware of your brokenness, of your deficiencies, of your shortcomings. It is a place that makes you aware of your need. Now, when you come into this place, you do not even need to be a follower of Christ, but your response in your humanity is the same. And you'll walk in and you'll say one of two things. You'll look at everyone else and you'll say with your arms crossed, look at all these people. They just think they're better than everyone else. Or in your brokenness, you'll look around and you'll say, look at all these people. They're just way better than I am. 
And we walk in in our humanity, whether we're in Christ or out of Christ, and every single week we become aware of our brokenness. It's as if we can never get anything right. And sometimes, hear me now, I believe this happens every single week when we come to the house of God and we see Christ for who he is. That's why the Bible says the law is a tutor. It teaches us when we've gone off into our own ways. And when we come to the house of God, we recognize, see, when you read this and you, and you hear what Christ did and he's saying, listen, love your enemies. Love those who persecute you. Be kind to people. Be forgiving to people. Walk with confidence. Walk with peace. Don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. And you hear this and you walk in, you say, gosh, that's not me. It's not me. The problem does not lie in identifying your brokenness. It's in your response to fix it. It always has been. It always will be. Just continue with me. When you come into the house of God and you identify, man, I'm in need. And this happens far beyond the point of salvation. You could have identified your need of Jesus as your eternal Savior and you received him as your personal Lord and Savior, but you continue to grow and be sanctified in the, it, it's sanctified um, and be purified into the image of God. When that process happens, it brings the impurities up to the surface and you have to deal with them. And then and, and as they get brought to the surface, there is not a problem. It's how you deal with what God brings to the surface. And when we come to the house of God, listen to me. This is what happens. This is what happens. The Holy Spirit draws all men unto himself. And when he draws people to themselves and you begin to worship and glorify God, God begins to purify and refine his people. And when he does that, the impurities of our own brokenness come to the surface. And we recognize it. And the truth is, if you ask anyone who's in Christ, when you stand in worship and read the word and pray, see, that's why the disciplines are so important. The disciplines are not to make you better than other people. The disciplines are to develop you into the image of Christ. And when you continue to be disciplined before God, it's not that you're working to accomplish things so that you can look at other people and say, I'm more disciplined than you. It's in your pursuit of Jesus that he begins to purify you and you become you actually become a carrier of the things of God. And you can give out those things to other people. Two responses. Sin has a response and Jesus has a response. Sin's response to being made aware of your brokenness. There's only two of them. It's self-righteousness or self-condemnation. When you're made aware of your brokenness, there's two responses in your flesh. The first one will say, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. When people come in and they say, the wages of sin is death. They say, I'll fix that. Only to realize that they can't. And some people spend their entire lives trying to fix the problems that sin has created in them. And they cannot. The only solution to sin is Jesus. But when you try to fix yourself, it only produces self-righteousness, which manifests and reflects itself as pride. The other side of sin is self-condemnation. It's those who come into the church and they walk in like this. Which is one thing to walk in like that, it's another thing to leave like that. You'll only leave like that if you continue to think that it is upon you and your own works that you'll be saved and made right with God. But the Bible actually says it's not in your righteousness that you're saved, but in the righteousness of Jesus. And so condemnation is only produced by your own works. It's not produced by God. 
So that's the response of sin. It happens every Sunday. Every Sunday, I don't care if you've been serving God for 30 years, three years, three months, three days. It doesn't matter. When you come to God's house, there is an awareness of your brokenness. And can I tell you, I believe the Holy Spirit manifests that or makes that known to the believer. There's a, there's a pride issue. There's a, an issue of unforgiveness. There's a lack of generosity. There's a lack of giving. There's a lack of serving. Whatever it is. And the amazing thing about our God is that he speaks uniquely to his children. I could be preaching about faithfulness and you hear nothing about faithfulness, but you, th- you hear something about generosity. You hear something about serving. You hear something about forgiveness. Why? The Holy Spirit draws that to the surface. But then this is it. This is it. It's your response to it. It's your response to it. What will your response be? How do I respond? As I go through scriptures, I become more and more aware of this. That if I have a deficiency in love, how do I love more? How do I increase in my love towards other people? If I have a deficiency, hear me, if I have a deficiency in giving, meaning that I don't want to give, I don't want to be generous, I, I don't want to. I remember hearing some, someone say to me one time that, that it was always a struggle to give. Now, I believe that when we give, it is a discipline. The Bible teaches that giving is a discipline. Praying is a discipline. Reading the Word is a discipline. Meditating on it is a discipline. Fasting is a discipline. But all of those things are not so that we can go around and work and say, hey, look what I have done. It is, there are disciplines to actually focus our attention on Jesus. And when we see Him for who He is, and we see the revelation of who God is, it changes us into someone that is a reflection of Christ. As you continue to read scriptures, you become more and more aware of the fact that what he's calling you to, you cannot produce without him. You can't. If I come to you and I say, you need to love the neighbor that persecutes you, that cusses to you, that writes nonsense on the internet about you, you need to love them. (laughs) What? (laughs) Sure, gotcha, you know, pray for me, okay, you know. And then you would say things like, well, I'm really trying. I'm really trying. God's dealing with me, you know. But nothing changes. Or maybe you have an issue in your marriage. You say, hey, you need to honor your wife. Why do you need to love your husbands? You say, yeah, I got it. I got it. But no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try, you just can't get over these issues. And you can't get over these things. Talk about being patient with your kids in seasons when they don't listen. And you're reading the scripture and the Bible says, be patient because God's patient. And you're like, (laughs) okay, pray for me. No, 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 no. God doesn't say if, if we are lacking in an area, he says, pray and ask. But it's in our prayer that we're identifying God. You're the source of that. For some reason, we think that God, I need patience. And he sprinkles pixie dust over us. And it's like, oh, you got patience. It doesn't work that way. And then I heard other people say, like, if you want patience, God's going to give you a difficult season, and he's going to test you to endure it. I don't really think that's how God develops us. I don't think God's waiting for you to ask for patience, and then all of a sudden, he's going to let all hell break loose in your life and say, what you asked for, it. here's your test. You know what I mean? I don't think that's it. Because, again, it's always about other things and our work in situations. That, That always goes back to what we can produce. And then we say, oh, look what I've done. Look what I've done. I've been struggling with it. Look what I have done. No, it's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done. 
It's always about what he's done. It's always will be about what he's done. And so we need to learn how to get that in our spirit. And so listen, this is problematic because many of you don't know how to stand on someone else's work. Telling you, you want to know the byproduct of our brokenness? Many of us don't want to stand on anyone else's work. Well, I didn't do that. I'm not taking credit for that. That's not me. It is in his finished work that we're able to stand before God the Father. And when he sees us, he doesn't see our brokenness. He sees the righteousness of his son. And says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Because we were faithful through our entire lives? No. But because he is faithful. It's in his nature. It's who he is. And so if our response to needing more faith or maybe more love or patience. This is it. There's a principle in the scripture. And it says that all things are drawn from God because he is the divine initiator. Meaning this, we love because we are so compassionate. Is that right? We love because we are so good. No, it's not right. We love because we see the brokenness and the need in humanity. No, that's not right. We love because he first loved. So then if you rewind that into every other facet of our life, we are patient because we're so good. No, no, no. We are patient because we have great self-control and we've been reading self-help books. No, 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 no. We are patient because he first is patient. We can show grace because we've been shown grace. We can show mercy because we are recipients of it. We give not because we are generous, but because he is generous. Everything we do is a byproduct of what he's already done. And can I tell you something? When you get to the place and have that revelation of this whole thing of following Jesus, I just really want some of you to be set free this morning, and I want you to pursue Jesus. You know, this Bible says that we worship in spirit and in truth. You know what that means? It means that I'm pursuing Jesus for who he is, not what I can get in my worship from him. It's just saying, God, I'm pursuing you because you are patient, and you are faithful, you are generous. To all those things in my life. That's who you are. And I just worship you for it. Do you know in the Old Testament, there's this word, um, it's a Hebrew word, has said, not that would be how we pronounce it. I think it's more guttural than that. Ha said. You gotta like hock up a loogie to really do it well. Ha said, you know. But really what it means, it's described in different ways. Over 250 times it's nearly used in the Old Testament. All of those times, majority of those times, are to define the nature or the attribute of God in His faithfulness or His loyalty. And if you read the Old Testament, it's crazy because people, God, we love you. And then as soon as God sets them free or, or delivers them, then all of a sudden they have confidence in their own works. And then all of a sudden in their confidence in their own works, they say, God, we no longer need you. And then they find themselves in the byproduct of them doing life on their own without God. And then they get themselves in a situation. They say, God, we need you. And then guess what? God's faithful. 
and he shows back up on the scene and he fixes it and he restores it and he heals it and he mends it. And then they go right back into their old ways and it's just a cycle of things. And can I tell you through it all, God is still hesed. He's faithful. He's loyal in all those seasons. I love this picture. I love this picture because it's, it's just who God is. John, as he wrote Revelation, begins to describe the end times and the return of Christ. And I love this because I think it's fascinating to me. He says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse of Christ's return through the clouds. And listen to what he says. He says, whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. When Christ returns from the clouds in all of his glory and righteousness, Scripture describes the rider as faithful and true. I don't know why that blows my mind. I suppose it does because I know that there are hundreds of ways to describe God. Hundreds of ways to describe who He is. But yet, He is described as faithful. See, this is why we can proudly proclaim from this platform every single Sunday is there is no one like our God. There's no one like Him. No one even close to Him. He is always there in your time of need. He is your ever-present help in your time of need. He is your fortress and your strong tower. He's patient with you. He's kind to you. In all of those things, that's who He is. I was thinking about that in the nature of how we were created in the image of God. In the Genesis, it says that we were made in the image of God. And understanding the image of God in its plurality, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they made man and woman. And Scripture says that the man shall leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one. And that's why every time I have the privilege to do a wedding, you read the verse that declares that what God has joined together, let no one separate. Do you know why God despises divorce? Scripture actually says, hey, this isn't meant to condemn anybody. It's to further express the nature of who God is. Because anything that is not faithful is a violation of the very nature of God. And when God sees divorce, you know what he sees? He sees disloyalty and unfaithfulness. Not to anyone who's experienced that, that's not meant to isolate you. Because do you know why? It's an understanding in our own brokenness and our unfaithfulness that he is still faithful. That's why no matter where you are this morning in your journey, you can rest assured God is faithful. He's faithful to you. And can I tell you, whatever need you have, whatever you're lacking in your journey with God, it will not be fixed by you pursuing that thing. It will be remedied by your pursuit of Jesus. And can I tell you, for some of you, it doesn't seem like enough. It doesn't seem like enough because you can't fix it in your own mind. I don't know what it does by just pursuing Jesus. How's it going to fix my marriage? How's it going to fix my finances? How's it going to fix my health? <laughs> when you understand who he is. And you become recipients of what he gives. Can I pray for you? Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? 
everyone at Collingswood, everyone here at Mantra. Let me pray for you. Hey, thanks for watching. I pray that that message was a blessing to you. And I pray it's encouraged you um, wherever you find yourself in your journey of life. We never like to end any one of our services without giving you um, the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised to life, you will be saved. And salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work towards it. It can only be received. It's this incredible grace that comes only from God. So the Bible says that right where you are in your season, not trying to fix anything else, not trying to get yourself better, not waiting or putting off salvation, but today to make the decision to say yes to Jesus, that you know you can't save you, that you need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says it only requires you to say a simple prayer. So repeat after me, just say this prayer. Say, dear, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. Come into my life and make me new. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just said that prayer, we believe that your eternity is secure in Christ. One of the things that I wanna encourage you to do, your next step, if you would, um, is to tell somebody, whether you're telling us through the website and contacting us and informing us or telling someone else at a local church that maybe you visited. The second thing I wanna encourage you to do is to be planted in a healthy, Bible-based church, whether it's True North Church or another church close to you, find a church community to do life with. Man, we're so excited for you. Make sure that you get a Bible. If you don't have one, please reach out to us. We'd love to bless you with the Bible and encourage you on your journey with Jesus. I'm excited for you. I truly believe that your best days are still ahead.